from deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, there was a, well, it wasn't a, it was the headline on the front page of the New York Times on Saturday of this very week that we're finishing up or starting a new one of, however you figure that out. Saturday's New York Times, I say, and the banner, banny headline on the front page, quote, Putin led scheme to aid Trump, report says. Putin led scheme to aid Trump, report says. Banner headline in the New York Times. Here, ladies and gentlemen, is what the report by the intelligence community, which is a real community, not, actually says, quote, We assess Russian President Vladimir Putin ordered an influence campaign in 2016 aimed at the U.S. presidential election. Russia's goals were to undermine public faith in the U.S. democratic process, denigrate Secretary Clinton, and harm her electability and potential presidency. Period. Next sentence. We further assess that Putin and the Russian government developed a clear preference for President-elect Trump, which, if... All right, so anyway, compare that with the headline. Now some data points, or what Paul Harvey used to call the rest of this story. When mass protests against Putin erupted in Moscow in December 2011, this is from Politico, Putin made clear who he thought was really behind them, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. He pointed an angry finger at her. Uh, angry finger at her. She had issued a statement sharply critical of the voting results in the 2011 election. She said they were dishonest, unfair. Putin fumed in public remarks. He said Clinton gave a signal to demonstrators working with the support of the State Department, U.S. State Department, to undermine his power. She did issue such a denunciation publicly of the Russian election in 2011. That was diplomatic of her. I guess she hadn't been briefed that he might retaliate. Quote, she has policies and a history that the Russians don't like. Michael McFaul, U.S. ambassador to Moscow during her final year as Secretary of State, told the Washington Post. It's frequently forgotten because there's so much noise about Trump and Putin, but this history is real and Putin doesn't forget these things, unquote. The intelligence report, subject of the New York Times banner headline, Putin-led scheme to aid Trump, says, in fact, that Putin had a longstanding grudge against Hillary Clinton. It may be what Putin and Trump have in common. They both like to hold grudges. Hey, who can blame them? Um, And they... um, they seem to that this is we know that Trump came up under the tutelage of Roy Cohn, who was uh, an aide to Senator Joseph McCarthy when he was chasing communists. Roy was chasing other things, but and the uh, what Roy Cohn taught Trump, and this is you can find this in almost any biography of Donald Trump, was when somebody hits you, hit them back twice as hard. That also seems to be what Vladimir Putin learned in the KGB. See some lines converging here? Anyway, oh, also, you heard on this broadcast 
a uh, piece of a telephone conversation a couple years ago, three years ago now, wiretapped from Clinton's then, uh, well, I don't think Clinton had left by then, but she had appointed her, uh, Assistant Secretary of State for Central European Affairs, Victoria Newland, to the then U.S. Ambassador to Ukraine, Jeffrey Pyatt, in which Newland told Pyatt who should be, in her opinion, in the new Ukrainian government following the uh, overthrow of the pro-Russian Ukrainian government. Nutty coincidence time, those were the people who actually ended up in the government. The, oh, the, the taped conversation, it was wiretapped and placed on YouTube by the Russians. Putin-led scheme to aid Trump, report says. By the way, apropos of our reverence for the electoral process and the our widespread desire, judging by what politicians have been saying all week, to uh, keep other countries from trying to influence our democratic process. Check out the 1996 election. Oh, no, no, not ours. Russia's. Um, hello from a very, very cold, I mean, freezing New Orleans, cold Canadian air. Thank you, Canada. We'll send you some moist Gulf air next summer, and don't bother to thank us. Ladies and gentlemen, the digital wonderland embraces more and more. Norway will begin switching off its FM radio network next week, a controversial move closely watched by other nations. Critics have said the government is rushing the move. A poll by a government by a newspaper, Dagbladet, I feel that way all the time, suggests 66% of Norwegians oppose it. Experts argue, according to the BBC, that the change needs to happen because digital radio can carry more channels and has clearer sound. Switzerland, Denmark, and the UK are also considering a switch-off. The shutdown of the FM network will start in the northern city of Bodo. That's my dog. No. On January, oh, coming this week. By the end of the year, all national FM broadcasts in Norway will end. Even though Norway has two million vehicles on the road that are not equipped with digital receivers. They're being told to buy adapters, which, you know, costs some money. Digital expert John Jan Thorsen wrote in Dagbladet, Dagbladet, earlier this year, Norwegian politicians have decided to make 15 million FM radios in Norway completely useless. That's a bad idea. So, tune in while you can. Hello, welcome to the show. It's 
from where cold Canadian air comes to spend the winter. I'm Harry Shearer. Welcome you to this edition of the show. By the way, we further assess that Putin and the Russian government developed a clear preference for President-elect Trump. That sentence could also be read as, he decided the enemy of his enemy was his friend. Oh, and yes, he is a nasty thug. It's all true. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the warm, won't you? Award-winning news of the warm. Beats me. Soft, listen to the warm. We can listen to the warm. Migrating birds are arriving at their breeding grounds earlier as global temperatures rise. According to a new study, birds have reached their summer breeding grounds on average about one day earlier per degree of increasing global temperatures, according to Edinburgh University, which looked at hundreds of species over five continents. Well, that's not enough. It's hoped it'll help scientists predict how different species may respond to future environmental changes. Reaching their summer breeding grounds at the wrong time, even by a few days, may cause birds to miss out on maximum available availability of vital resources. You know, your food and your rest- nesting places. Late arrival to breeding grounds may in turn affect the timing of offspring hatching and their chances of survival. Long-distance migrants are less responsive to rising temperatures. They may suffer most. Other birds gain advantage by arriving at breeding grounds ahead of them. Takuji Usui from Edinburgh University says, Many plant and animal species are altering the timing of of activities associated with the start of spring, such as flowering and breeding. I know I am. Now we've detailed insights into how the timing of migration is changing and how this change varies across species. These insights may help us predict how well migratory birds keep up with changing conditions on their breeding grounds. The birds take flight in response to cues such as changing seasonal temperatures and food availability. They examine records of migrating bird species dating back almost 300 years, drawing upon records from amateur birders and scientists, including Henry David Thoreau. Thoreau, he's still relevant. Two world-leading clean energy products, uh, projects have opened in the South Indian state of Tamil Nadu. An industrial plant is capturing the CO2 emissions from a coal boiler and using the CO2 to make valuable chemicals. It's a world first. Just 60 miles away is the world's biggest solar farm, making power for 150,000 homes. The industrial plant appears especially significant, according to the BBC, as it offers a breakthrough by capturing CO2 without subsidy. That won't last. Built at a chemical plant, it is projected to save 60,000 tons of carbon dioxide emissions a year by incorporating them into the recipes for baking soda and other chemicals. What they do is turn the CO2... Uh, it's fed into the chemicals plant as an ingredient for baking soda and other compounds, including the manufacturing of glass, detergents, and sweeteners. The uh, firm admits its technology won't cure climate change, but says it may provide a useful contribution by gobbling up perhaps 5 to 10% of the world's emissions 
from coal. So making coal almost benign or closer to, well, you know, kind of whatever the thing might, you know, couldn't couldn't hurt. Uh, News of the warm, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now the latest from our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia. A group of foreign construction workers who staged a protest about unpaid wages have been sentenced to 300 lashes and four months behind bars in Saudi Arabia. Video from the protest in April shows a row of buses belonging to their employer, the Bin Laden Group, set ablaze by the angry men. Well, you got to avenge the Bin Laden Group. Come on. The men claimed they had not been paid for six months. You know, that's the knock on bin Laden. Slow pay. Authorities confirmed at the time seven buses were set alight. In the courtroom in Mecca, some of the protesters were reportedly sentenced to four months and 300 lashes for inciting unrest. Others were given a lesser sentence. Bin Laden group was founded more than 80 years ago by the father of you-know-who. The workers uh, were left waiting for, w- waiting for their wages after a collapse in oil revenues left the kingdom unable to pay the f- private firms it had contracted to undertake major building projects. So it goes to the king, okay? Workers still with the company would get their back pay as the government settled its arrears, the company said, having nothing to do with the lashes. Our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia. And now... Ladies and gentlemen, another special feature of our program. I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Yes, sir. Are you listening? Yes, I am. Microplastics. Think about it. Will you think about it? Yes, I will. Love said. Wei Min Wu, a specialist on environmental biotechnology at Stanford, says recent studies show bacteria contained in mealworms' guts are able to eat and degrade polystyrene and polyethylene foams. Today, most of the microplastics wastes are coming from China, Europe, and America. Thank you. Polluting rivers, oceans, and groundwater. Wu says microplastics are essentially microbeads, tiny plastic balls that can be found in like your toothpaste. He says they cannot be removed by existing treatment water plants. Only microfiltration works. He said the result is a contamination of the fisk, fish, mollusks, plankton, and even sea salt that can be found in every supermarket. Wu believes plastic contamination can be reduced by minimizing the use of plastics, but he said microplastics are essentially comprised of polystyrene and polyethylene. Only 9% are currently recycled. So here comes the yellow mealworm, mostly found in Europe and North America. Rich in protein, the yellow yellow mealworm, it's a mealworm in itself, is commonly used to feed animals. Some restaurants are starting to propose the mealworm for human consumption. However, besides these common uses, future sounds better every day, doesn't it? Wu said it had been observed that mealworms are able to eat plastics, especially styrofoam. What's, it's not just for breakfast anymore. They're mostly eating styrofoam. They're not only eating styrofoam plastics, Wu says, but also degrading it. Will they get to work on the culture? Studies showed mealworms can eat up to 50% of the styrofoam in over two weeks, up to 70% of the plastic, 
has been degraded. Takes from 5 to 15 hours to digest plastics for a mealworm. Boo says it's pretty fast. Mealworm races, ladies and gentlemen. I'm seeing it. Race them and eat them. The mealworm is more efficient when the temperature reaches 77 degrees Fahrenheit, so it would like warmer thing, but it has a better chance to survive in lower temperatures, so it would like cooler thing. Wu says the assimilation and degradation of the plastic are made possible by several types of bacteria contained in the mealworm's gut. One of them, the exiguobacterium, is particularly efficient. Um... You can't, not as efficient when you uh, take the bacterium out of the mealworm's gut. Other stuff's going on in there besides the bacterium. Wu says other bacteria contained in insects, such as waxworms and cockroaches. Oh, don't tell me we're going to be eating those. Come on now. Come on, Wu. Could play an important role in the biodegradation of petroleum plastic in the next decade. No industrial process is in place now to take advantage of the mealworm efficiency for eating and degrading plastics, but... Now that it's been broadcast on this program, you know industry will follow. News of microplastics, ladies and gentlemen. It is a a oh-so copyrighted feature of this very program. And um, that brings us to Bad Banks. News of bad banks, ladies and gentlemen. The Bank of England's chief economist has admitted his profession is in crisis, having failed to foresee the 2008 thing and having misjudged the impact of the vote in the United Kingdom to leave the EU, so-called Brexit. Andrew Haldane of the Bank of England said it was a fair cop, referring to a series of forecasting errors before and after the financial crash, which have brought the economics profession's reputation into question, blaming the failure of economic models to cope with irrational behavior in the modern era. The economist said the profession needed to adapt to regain the trust of the public and politicians. That's right. Economics assumes, uh, traditional mainstream economics, assumes we're all rational actors, rational utility-maximizing actors. The Bank of England has come under intense criticism for predicting it. And you know how rational we all are. The Bank of England has come under intense criticism for predicting a dramatic slowdown in the U.K.'s fortunes in the event of the vote out of the EU, only for the economy to bounce back strongly and remain one of the best performing in the developed world. Haldane is known to be concerned about mounting criticism of experts and for the uh, potential for the bank's forecast to be dismissed by politicians if errors should persist. He blamed, did Haldane, the profession's reliance on models that were built for an age when consumers and businesses, and especially banks, quote, behaved rationally. You remember that. You lived through that, didn't you? Since 2008, consumers have maintained their spending when the classic economic models would have expected them to be more circumspect. He said uh, the lack of numeracy skills was stark in England. 
due to education policies, in comparison with other countries which placed more emphasis on workers having more than a basic level of mathematical skill. Yeah, like us. So problem is they didn't anticipate irrational behavior, ladies and gentlemen. Aside from that, it's a, it's a fine science. Now, word has gotten out uh, that there's going to be a, um, an inauguration coming up very shortly, like uh, in um, 11 days, of a, of a new president, you know, the one the Russians elected. And uh, news came out this week that, uh, you know, we've, we've been hearing who's not going to be at the inauguration, all the celebrities who are not going to be performing, all the uh, folks who are taking a pass. But in keeping with historic protocol and tradition, former President George Bush and his wife Laura announced this week they would be attending the inauguration. And perhaps even more surprisingly, the uh, uh, announcement this week came that other people who will be attending the inauguration include former President and Mrs. Clinton. Yes, it's another episode of Clinton Something next here on the show. something the wilderness years please hold for the president the president what president am i calling myself now what? hey 42 it's your predecessor president the other bush you could say that if you were so indisposed. Hey, how they hanging? Well, they're uh, they're hanging just fine. And you? Oh, listen, I've been a good boy so long, I wouldn't remember how to behave other which way wise. So, look, mm-hmm. please uh, convey my uh, sincerest uh, conveyances to the missus about the you know the election. Ah, oh, well, thanks. Yeah, she's in the other room. You I could... mean, nobody wanted this sob to lose more than I did. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we all know politics is a Tough old game. But uh, Hex Bells, when he called me a liar in public, that was just, you know, completely beyond the Pele. Well, I will pass on your good words to Hillary. Matter of fact, she's just... So uh, let me just cut to the chaser. <laughs> Laura and I were invited to the uh, inauguration of this Trump fella. Well, we were too. Yeah, I sort of assumulated that. Now, I understand it's protocol and the elders and all that for former presidents to attend the swearing-in of a new president. Well, even their opponents. I mean, uh, Al Gore attended yours, right? Sure as heck did. Looked more teed off than a three-legged prairie dog. Mm -hmm. So I figure, you know, if you folks are going, then uh, I guess so are we. Well, on the other hand, Lauren, I'd be delighted to skip it if you folks were planning to be uh, elsewise on that uh, Augustine occasion. You know what, George? Between you and me, uh, I think it's up to Hillary. Well, then it isn't between you and me, really. I guess you're right. Uh, 
So look, I'm going to talk this over with uh, Hill just as soon as she's uh, able to talk again. Oh, I'm but, good. I'll get back to you. Yeah, just let me know in time for Laura to gussy up. You got it. You know, I, me, I just put on a clean suit. But talk to you later. Who was that? Uh, President Bush. Really? Uh, no, the other one. Oh. How's he taking it? Pretty good, considering he wasn't running. Well, I know, but his whole family was hung out to dry by Cockwork Orange. Yeah, that's clever. You just think of it? Mm-mm. Huma came up with it. I uh, think she's still processing the Anthony Weiner thing. Hey, I'm still processing the documentary they were in. Man, you really have to be addicted to power to stick around a guy like that. I guess. So what was up with 43? Offering sympathy or wanting some? Mm, neither. He just wanted to know whether we're going to, uh, you know, the thing. <laughs> Are they going to... Uh... The thing? What it sounded like was they're going if we're going. What's his dad going to do? Probably skydiving and the swearing in. Cute. Trying. That too. So? I was leaning towards taking a long walk in the woods that day. You mean... Like today and yesterday and every other day since the other thing? The woods are different every day. You know what else is different every day? What? Being president of a major university. Not quite the same as, you know. No, but the salary's better. It's amazing what university presidents get paid these days. More than Chelsea's getting paid to run the foundation. You know something, Bill? I don't really envision spending the next four years deciding which professor's class needs a trigger warning in the catalog. Well, you, you can't just walk in the woods for the next four years. Why not? Well, that's what the Russians and the FBI would want you to do. At least out in the woods, there's nobody telling me that they told me to campaign in Wisconsin and Michigan. Oh. No, I told you so is in a frozen forest. Look, I only mentioned it a couple of times. What about mayor of New York? He never mentioned it. No, I mean, how about running for mayor? New York's almost as big and important as the United States. At least to New Yorkers. You know something, hon? Hmm. I think I'm about through with trying to be half as good a natural politician as you. Hmm. Whatever I do... If I do anything, I'm not going to campaign for it. You could be president of the Red Cross. Clean that up a little bit. Clean up a little bit yourself. That pays a million plus. I could also take Tony Blair's old job flacking for Kazakhstan. That pays more. Hey, he's given the whole post-elected office business model a bad name. Don't go there. I won't. So, you and me and W and Laura... In the impossibly good sport box at the inauguration? Well, w is always good for a laugh or two. Sure. And Laura is so bitter at Michelle's adoring press, she'll probably be good for at least a couple of cringy zingers. 
Nice name for a dog treat. <laughs> That's my gal. I'll call George. I'll be in the woods. Youthful angst and post-middle-aged angst. Together they add up to Clinton something. The wilderness years. Cigarette ashes 
From New Orleans, Louisiana, this is Le Show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for me to read the trades for you. First, hour-long torture on Facebook Live could chill brands' appetite for new platform. From Advertising Age, I'll read it for you. The appearance of what appeared to be an hour-long torture video on Facebook Live could undermine efforts to get more brands and publishers to try out the feature. The video was another reminder of how chaotic social media can be, and it could be a warning sign for brands and publishers that have tentatively embraced these unruly environs. It could also slow down Facebook's plans to try to make money from Facebook Live, one of its latest and biggest priorities as it tries to compete for TV ad dollars. Facebook has been testing mid-roll video ads on Facebook Live served into the broadcasts a la traditional TV commercial breaks because brands don't want to appear to be among content they can't control or even predict the company has only been putting ads on video from prof- professional media players but even premium publishers can wind up covering topics that are unsafe for advertisers says the head of social media at one ad agency. Brands should absolutely be thinking about how they place media in social spaces to avoid having their content directly aligned with the wave of content and commentary that follow these types of incidents. Facebook has removed the alleged torture video, but did not say whether or how it could prevent such content from gaining a foothold in the future. Live streaming is just a click of a button away for any of Facebook's nearly 2 billion users. Facebook Live streams through Apple TV to let people watch Facebook in their living rooms. In the incident Wednesday, that meant viewers could live stream torture directly to their big screens. No apology yet from Facebook. And, also from AdAge, smart TVs force ads onto the menu screen. Future's looking better all the time. Consumers might describe Samsung's most recent update to its internet-connected TV sets as anything but smart. 
The South Korean manufacturing giant rolled out an update earlier this month that forced, or uh, last month, sorry, that forces consumers to see display ads on its app menu screen if they want to take advantage of this set's smart TV features. The only way consumers can avoid the new ads is to disconnect their TVs from the internet, meaning they can't use its menu to access Netflix, Zulu, and Amazon. The ads featured on Samsung TVs aren't obtrusive when they first appear at the bottom of the screen, but consume a lot of space once highlighted, enlarging to take up three-fourths of the screen. Or less, depending on the ad. Ads are a large reason why I ditched cable, said a user on Reddit. A technology industry analyst expressed concern about the long-term effects of Samsung's recent move. Quote, I would be surprised if this had a huge impact on Samsung, but there is a rolling effect to that, and in the longer run, I worry about what the impact of sales would be. I just paused so they could insert an ad there. New ads are not on most consumers' wish lists, said the consultant. This will backlash because consumers don't want that. Users at least have the option of opting out of internet-based advertising, or interest-based advertising, and instead receiving ads that would be considered irrelevant to the user, according to Samsung. You don't want those irrelevant ads, do you? Really? We're always looking for ways to enhance the TV-watching experience, a Samsung spokeswoman told AdAge. Users can opt out of these interest-based ads at any time and still get all the smart features of their TVs, unquote, but with less relevant ads. And um, to see just how wonderful the connected world is getting, check out the Consumer Electronics Show coverage uh, this week. You'll see it online. Among the products being rolled out, and I'm not kidding, smart underpants. I think those are the two words that may sum up 2017, smart underpants. Just an aside when I read the trades for you, copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Now, you know, once you say it, you can't stop saying it, smart underpants. Ladies and gentlemen, of course, this has been a big week for President-elect Trump. One of the uh, things we've learned this week, he, he apparently learned something because he um, had this intelligence briefing on Friday from um, members of the intelligence community, which is a real community, after uh, dissing them all week in their um, public statements about the Russian influence on the American election, the Russian hacking, Russian-inspired hacking. But uh, we also learned, thanks to the uh, tireless reporting of Gabriel Sherman in New York Magazine, that uh, Rupert Murdoch, news of Nice Corp, ladies and gentlemen, Rupert Murdoch is uh, cozying up to Donald Trump after years of being, well, veering from neutral to openly hostile uh, over the years. According to one Murdoch associate, Rupert spoke of Trump as a buffoon. He was also turned off by Trump's anti-immigration rhetoric because Rupert, you know, you know. But in the general election, he came around to backing Trump. 
after the detente brokered by Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner. Now he seems intent on turning up Fox's support of Trump to a new level. His reversal, said an associate, can partly be explained by Murdoch's longtime desire to have a relationship with an American president. He's met every occupant of the Oval Office since Nixon, but has never had a personal connection with one. The 85-year-old Murdoch may see Trump as his last chance. On the other hand, there may be other reasons. Trump has asked Murdoch to submit names of his preferred candidates for chair of the Federal Communications Commission. The news suggests That news suggests Murdoch already wields significant influence in the incoming administration. This, that's also a report from Gabriel Sherman. The, um, the story says Murdoch is now talking to Trump by telephone several times a week. And then, of course, there was the meeting on Friday with the intelligence community after which, uh, following some criticism of Trump for disrespecting our intelligence people, he issued a statement saying uh, how much he respects and looks forward to working with them. That took, that took a while to cover. It, it could be done more quickly. This week, for the first time, Inauguration Day gets ever closer. And now, with appointees still to be chosen and others to be defended, the businessman turned president-elect faces tougher tasks. And so do those who seek his approval. Rupert. Yes, Don. I mean, Mr. President. I hear you've offered $25 million to Megyn Kelly. Oh, it's very important for Fox News, we keep her. I want you to let it go. Do you think you can do that? I'd have to listen to a half-hour lecture from my son, James. Let her go to NBC. Let her fail there like Schwarzenegger. Let her bleed from her wherever. James talks to my wife. God knows if he'd say this is an early warning of something wrong upstairs. I didn't say it would be easy. I didn't say anything. Just do it. The next time you call, you'll be talking to my son-in-law. I can get out of phone hacking. I can do this. Graydon. Yes, Mr. Trump. I came to your building. You didn't come to mine, right? That's correct, sir. Something about... Something about your task that's better done right here where you work. Okay, we were hoping to ask you some questions. If I wanted to answer questions, I'd start reading. Here. It's the world's best tape measure. Okay, I didn't know there were competitions for that. Your task is to measure my hands. Oh, look, it was a joke we started decades ago. Can we... I think you know what you have to do. I'll get the lady from Vogue to do it. Note, still here through all these weeks. Must, must be doing something right. You've been extremely loyal. Well, sir, it seems to me that... More loyal than Christy. More loyal than Rudy. I um, always entertain suspicions about the evanescence of their fealty. Your task this week. Yes? Keep an eye on Christine Rudy. (laughs) Well, but in a surfeit of honesty, sir, I have to observe that they're far away from the action. So I guess that's where you have to be. I'm going to guess accordingly. James Clapper. Yes, sir. People who work for me usually get very good at making deals. 
Yes, sir. Now, we assess with very high confidence. Oh, I know all about confidence. Some people say that's my business. It's a little unusual for me to be criticizing your agencies in public, isn't it? Our community certainly agreed with that conclusion. It's a little unusual for you guys to make such public statements about cyber war, right? I mean, that's usually secret stuff. Well, we felt, uh, given what the president had tasked us with... Yeah, a different task now. Here's our deal. You stop doing our secret business in public. I think I only heard one half of a deal there. You said my tweeting has affected your agency's morale? I have delivered that assessment publicly. I could stop the tweeting. I like morale. So we certainly like these people to be considered for the FCC. Oh, they're good people. We think they're excellent. I'm sure they are. Your next task is to let O'Reilly go. (laughs) Not possible. To use your phrase, he's our ratings machine. He hasn't been that nice to me either. Are you up to it? It pains me to say this. Yes? I'll have to talk to my son. New team. New tasks. Same mission. We are going to make this format great again now. The world is his boardroom. The Presidentus. This week. Watch like you mean it. Summer is a sizzler Sweat pouring down your face Your armpits are a fountain Your shirt's a wet disgrace And it's hard to sleep at night time Can't walk the streets by day Four months in the hot box Just one thing I can say You may see me moving slowly But you won't hear me moan Cause heat is only skin deep Cold is to the bone Winter's clean and brittle Humidity's all gone You can ski and you can snowboard Weather's got it going on But to keep blood circulating You wear 50 pounds of stuff Get your gloves or layers You're a dead man soon enough I can see my breath before me Got to be a rolling stone This heat is only skin deep But cold is to the bone
sunscreen's not a bother And I love those longer days Clean air makes me shiver Give me some muggy haze Oh, winter lasts forever Summer's over in a flash I hear TV talk of freezing I got to make a dash Snowbirds all around me So I know I'm not alone Heat is only skin deep Cold is to the bone The bone, cold is to the bone, cold is to the bone. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the apologies of the week. The Yahoo Finance Twitter account this week quickly deleted a post that accidentally included the N-word. We deleted an earlier tweet due to a spelling error. We apologize for the mistake. They um, ran with a link, quote, Trump wants a much bigger Navy. They didn't type bigger. That's a typo. That's not a spelling error. Israel's ambassador to the U.K. has apologized after an embassy official was recorded discussing how to take down a U.K. foreign office minister. In a secretly recorded conversation, the embassy's secret political officer, Shai Masot, said Sir Alan Duncan was causing a lot of problems. The conversation was recorded at a restaurant opposite the Israeli embassy in October last year by Al Jazeera. Other countries to attempt to interfere with the... Ambassador Regev said the Israeli embassy. It rejects remarks concerning Minister Duncan, which are completely unacceptable. The comments were made by a junior embassy employee who is not an Israeli diplomat and who will be ending his term of employment shortly. And the ambassador spoke with Minister Duncan, apologized for the comments, and made clear the embassy considered the remarks to be completely unacceptable, unquote. Less than 48 hours after calling the veteran leadership of his Denver Nuggets team, head, calling them out, head coach Michael Malone issued an apology to his players. He had said the Nuggets have no veteran leadership. One seven-year veteran objected to his coach's words, saying, I don't agree with that. I apologize to our veterans, Malone said. Anything that's going on with our locker room should be left in the locker room. A radio software company has reportedly bricked its software for one of its users after he left a negative review of the product online. The ham radio software application suite Ham Radio Deluxe was reviewed as suffering from compatibility issues with Windows 10. (laughs) Windows 10. We apologize for what has happened here. I have stepped in and personally taken corrective action to ensure that this mistake does not get made again, said the uh, head of the company involved that makes Ham Radio Deluxe. Facebook has apologized for taking down a photo of a statue of the sea god Neptune that originally violated its policy on nudity. Art historian Elisa Barbari chose to put up a picture of the Renaissance statue to illustrate her page called Stories, Curiosities, and Views of Bologna. The Neptune statue is located in a square in Bologna. 
Facebook took down the image because of its sexually explicit nature. Your listing is not approved as it violates the guidance on advertising to Facebook because it shows a sexually explicit picture that overly focuses on the body or body parts without the need, said Facebook. Our team processes millions of advertising images each week, and in some instances we incorrectly prohibit ads. We apologize for the error and have let the advertiser know we are approving their ad. Oh, it is the Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen. A copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Oh, one more. Former Alaska Governor Sarah Palin apologized to WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange in a Facebook post soon after Assange was interviewed by Fox News host Sean Hannity. She was apologizing for remarks where she compared Assange to the Al-Qaeda and Taliban. I apologize for condemning Assange. Palin wrote. That's an apology. Ladies and gentlemen, yes, everybody's switching sides. Won't you, too? That concludes this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations or NPR worldwide throughout Europe. The USN 440 cable system in Japan, around the world through the facilities of the American Forces Network up and down the east coast of North America via the shortwave giant WBCQ The Planet, on the mighty 104 in Berlin, on Soho Radio in London, around the world via the Internet at two different locations, live and archived whenever you want at harryshear.com and kcsn.org. Available for your smartphone through Stitcher.com. And we can listen to you listening to it, probably. And available as a free podcast at iTunes, SoundCloud, Sideshow Network, TuneIn.com, and WWNO.org. And it'd be just like smart underpants. If you'd agree to join with me then, would you already? Thank you very much. Uh Uh-huh. The email address for this program, playlist for the music heard here on, and your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts in time for Valentine's Day. Who thought of that? All at harryshare.com. And join me, join the conversation on Twitter. Come on. At the Harry Shearer. It's not really a conversation, and it won't be Twitter for long either. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. Oh, a tip of the show, chapeau to Jenny Lawson and to Pam Halstead. So long from New Orleans.